I, uh, I have told you before, one of the things that I get more questions on than anything else really is this whole topic that we are focusing this weekend on, and that is on spiritual warfare. Some of us have such a, a, an out there view of what we think spiritual warfare is that nobody can really obtain that. And the second is that, that you know what, it doesn't really matter, there's no such thing, and we are what we are, we are it is the way it is, and neither of those are true. There's a tremendous balance that we need to find. And as we've been talking for the weeks to come, if you're not engaging in spiritual warfare, then you're getting the tar beat out of you. And God didn't intend for that to be like that. And so we are going to have an amazing time, and I hope and pray that you will be a part of the weekend. Let me tell you just quickly, kind of go over a little bit of the schedule here. Tonight, we, uh, we are going to have an amazing service. We're, in fact, can I see one of those pamphlets, the handouts? Thank you. Um, and, and let me just say right now, we have handouts for the whole weekend, handouts for um, the, the different just notes and things, the scriptures and all of that. You can get all of that. We've already uploaded them all to the church app. So if you go to the church app, you can go to sermon notes, go to the Friday p.m., and it will open up. And at the bottom, you can take notes if you're that, you know, digital person. And uh, then you know what? You can do all of that on the app. If you are old school and you like the piece of paper in your hand, praise God for you. We have that. We have uh, the ushers. In fact, they have a handout for you. And if you need one of those, please let them know and you can take one. If you do use the digital, go ahead and take those. Or you can open up your app right now and uh, you can get prepared for that. We're going to be turning this over to Dario here in just a moment. So the weekend... All the notes for the whole weekend are in there, in that packet, and so are on the, on, on the app, and you'll be able to, to go to those, all of those. By the end, at the end, we will, after the weekend is over, we will upload all of the messages onto the website as well and onto the app so that you can refer back to them. I want you all, though, to be to come, though. I want you to be here. I want you to be here as much as you can. This is vitally important. I, again, I, I don't think we understand how vitally important this is. And so I want you, I've been asking you to make it a priority for this weekend that you would come and be a part of this. We've tried to lay it out in such a way that it would be uh, as, as easy for each one to come as we could make it. But you still have to make those decisions to come that you would come and receive what the Spirit of the Lord has to say. And so I'm asking that you would do that. Tonight, we are in the midst of the service now. Tomorrow, we will come together at 10 o'clock. Amen? Say 10 a.m. At 10 a.m., we're going to come together tomorrow. Brother Dario, Dario is going to uh, bring a very important topic that he is going to minister on. And if you, you can see in, the, in your... Uh, Turn out what we're going to be looking at tomorrow morning, and, and you don't want to miss this, spiritual and natural sickness. You know, how, how many of you know when you're going through times of something that's spiritual sickness or something that's natural sickness or something that's created one from the other? And uh, you don't want to miss that. It's going to be a great time of teaching. 
One of the things that I so appreciate about Dario is that, that every time that I've ever been in any of the sessions or any of the places where he's taught at convention or any of those places, um, the one thing it's just been overwhelming was I just love the teaching gift that he has. And this is going to be a time of teaching. Amen? Amen. So come tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock, and then the rest of the weekend, 630 9 and 11 on Sunday. So Saturday night, he will do a message at 6.30. And, then, and we want you to come out, be a part of that. We want you to come be a part of all of them. He will, at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning, do a completely different message than he did on Saturday night. Okay? At 11 a.m., he will do a completely different message than he did on Saturday night or at the 9 a.m. So every single one of the services this weekend is going to have a different, fresh topic. Listen, I want to get as much information to you as we can, and that was the easiest, the best, and I think the most economical way for us to be able to do that so that this information can be received by you. And so I hope that you'll be a part of as much and as many... um, you know, uh, we were at lunch, and Dario was talking about how uh, in Latin America, they don't have the same issues that we have. So sometimes, like, when we get to a church service and the church is, you know, 80% full, that we call it full. In Latin America, they don't do that. Sometimes they run, their churches run 100, 105, 110% full. Okay, so listen, we're, we're just going to come together as family this weekend, and we're just going to jam in and crowd in, and we're just going to be a part of a family time of learning and uh, experiencing what God has for us. Amen? Amen? So come and be a part. I Also, there are some, uh, some amazing uh, tools that he has brought with him. Back in the back, there's a number of books, a number of books that I'm sure he'll tell you a little bit about his father, uh, Norman Parrish. He's actually, I knew, I knew and knew of Norman long before we ever actually got the privilege of coming to know Dario. In fact, Norman pulled us aside one night and he prophesied over Joni and I. And, uh, and again, so his father's always had this special place in our heart um, pulling up these just two nobodies from the middle of nowhere. And so we're so blessed to be able to be a part of that. And he's got some books back there, and I know that they're books that you have questions on, p- questions about possession. Can a, de- can, can a Christian be possessed? I know those are questions that we get a lot of people asking about. There's some answers back there in some of those books and some of the booklets. And there is, for those of you who speak Spanish, because Spanish is his native language. In fact, uh, he, he is a Guatemalan, believe it or not. He may be like one of the tallest Guatemalans in the country. <laughs> but uh but, but Spanish is his native language, and so for him to be able to preach and to speak and to bring this message today in English is quite a, a wonderful workout for him as well. So you're going to need to pay attention. His English is perfect. There's no, but just pay attention and, you know, again, write down all those little things that you can find where those words are different than what you think. And, and then come up and ask him afterwards. Amen? 
Well, listen, I, that's enough. Uh, all of those things, please make sure that you're a part of that. I, uh, again, I want to turn this over, and I want to give our brother Dario as much time as he needs to go through and to share what the topic of the night will be. This is going to be a great time, a wonderful opportunity, and the things, again, that he's been a part of, he's going to share with us, and I promise you, you will be blessed. Please make welcome our friend, Pastor Dario Parrish. For a long time, I've been uh, very, very excited to be able to come on this trip uh, for several reasons. Uh, one is always, I'm always excited to minister and always excited to do what God's called me to do. Uh, but 98% uh, of the ministry is in Spanish. So you can imagine uh, how many times do I have an opportunity to minister in English. Uh, very rarely. I visit... Uh, Probably during the year, I visit 130, 140, 150 churches during the year. And uh, so this is a unique opportunity for me. And so I, when Pastor Mark invited me, I jumped into the bandwagon as soon as I could because it's a good opportunity to be able to do it. And uh, it's rare also, the third reason, it's rare to find a church that really wants to grow, grow and develop especially in themes that are not as popular because most churches now are wanting to uh, be tickled. Uh, they want to be encouraged. They want to be, um, uh, what would be the right word, uh, uh, just given a good Christian message. Very few churches really want to challenge in the transformation that God has given us. Because I believe that uh, even though we're in the middle of a process, there is a destiny that we can achieve in Christ. Because the Bible clearly tells us that whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Indeed. That's an affirmation. That we can come to the point that we can walk in freedom. In different areas of our lives, even though our life is complex. How many of you know that life is complex? It's difficult. I'm my wife is married to a difficult guy. <laughs> Let's see how many of you are difficult here. Raise your hand. See, we're all difficult. <laughs> That's nothing new. I'm not saying something that you don't know. And the reality is life is difficult, and we need to realize that God has given us every tool, every pathway for us to achieve really the victory in Him. Because if not, the rhetoric of the Bible is basically just a rhetoric. Because we can talk about becoming overcomers and we can say that we are more than conquerors. But if it, that's not a reality in our lives and if that is not the hope of our lives, if we're not walking towards that, then we're just listening to a message and leaving the same way that we came in. And really God wants us, wants us to realize that there is something that he has in store for us. That God is, is, is preparing a way for us to be able to come into the fullness of everything that he has set aside in the word with his Holy Spirit as his agent on this earth. For us to be able to come to that place where we can walk in freedom in every single area of our lives. You know, we are triune. 
if you want to call it that way. We're triune. We're made up of what? Body, soul, and spirit. And many, I, I, I come to the realization many times as I'm ministering that most Christians don't really understand the, the, the fullness of the work of the cross in our lives. Because many of them, the only thing that they want to achieve is salvation. They want to be able to, to make it in through the chinny chin chin, isn't it? They want to be able to just make it in and no matter how, as long as they can make it in, that's not a problem. But in reality, as we look at the scriptures, we need to come to the realization that God wants to save, transform, bring freedom to our whole being. Body, soul, and spirit. And if we look at the context of salvation, and I know I'm getting out of the, but I'm just trying to give a foundation on this. If we look at the context of salvation, the Bible talks about our body being saved. That He calls it the redemption of our bodies. The adoption. The Bible calls it that way. But he also wants to save our mind. He calls it the renewing of our mind. Let us have the mind of Christ. And so he also wants to save our emotions. He wants to transform our will. Because the greatest act of our will is when we can say, Lord, let your will be done and not mine. That is the greatest act of our will. And yet, when we come to Christ, our spirit is saved. And we need to realize that every area of our life, God wants to transform it through salvation to be able to bring freedom into every side, every part of our beings. So that's really our goal. And we need to have that hope. We need to realize that everything that God did for us in Christ Jesus was with that purpose. That's the goal. That's everything that we find in the scriptures is for us to achieve that freedom in our lives. And so God is, is working out that process in every one of us. Every circumstance, every difficulty, every problem that we face in our lives is part of the process that God is using it to work out within us that work of salvation in and every one of us. And even if we look at the scriptures from the theological perspective, we need to realize that even deliverance is part of salvation in our lives. Because the Bible says that when he brings deliverance in our lives, we are being sanctified. And sanctification is the process of being cleansed, being set free, being put in order within us, within our inner being, being put in order. Let me start with Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says this. So then, my brethren, even as ye have always obeyed, not, in, not just in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. One of the greatest uh, concerns that I have about the body of Christ is I travel around the world. I travel from north to south. One of the greatest concerns I have is that many times we, we, we feel that salvation is a matter of not just finding whose fault it is, the problems that we're facing, the difficulties that we're facing, trying to find who's our scapegoat, but the reality that we are not responsible for what's happening in our lives. And one of the things that we are we need to come to that realization within our lives is realizing 
that no one else is responsible for your life except you. God has placed every person that is around us. God has placed the ministers, the pastors around our lives, all to be able to work with us. But the responsibility doesn't lie on them. It lies on us. We are responsible for not just the condition of our lives, but we're also responsible for what God is trying to do in our lives. We need to be actively involved in what God is trying to do within each and every one of us. That's why Paul, when he speaks to, to, the, to, 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 the, to the church of Philippians, the church of Philippi, probably one of the, the most cherished churches in, in Paul's ministry because if you remember... Paul left skin and blood for that church. Literally. And so when he writes the book of Philippians, he, he only has incredible love towards the church. And as you read it, it's almost like the, the apostle's love letter for a church. And when, when he writes Philippians, we see something that is, that, that, that is transcending in, in, the whole, in the whole book. And Paul is writing about the, his relationship and the way that they've walked with him, the, the, the way that they've sustained him, the way that they've uplifted him, one in, time and over again. But yet, we find that he is exhorting them about taking responsibility for their own walk. And being responsible for what is happening in their own lives. And as we as Christians, it doesn't matter how old or how young we are in the Lord, we need to realize you're responsible. No one else. And if there's something that you will take out tonight is that God needs for you to realize that, that you need to be responsible for your thoughts. You need to be responsible for your emotions. You need to be responsible for your actions. You need to be responsible for your reactions. Because we cannot control what's around us. We cannot control what comes against us. But you and I can sure make ourselves responsible for what is our attitude or our actions with that. One of the greatest things that we have is this. That there is a relationship between the purpose of the body. You know, being in a body is not coming to praise the Lord. Being in a body is not even coming to listen to a message. The real purpose of the body is the fact that we are together with others. And we are to function as a body. We are to function as, as, as those that are trying to help, trying to sustain, trying to uplift other, others around us. That's why we find in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, for example, something that is in relationship to verse 5. But let's just look at verse 2 for a minute. It says, bear ye one another's burdens, so that you will fulfill the law of Christ. Bear ye. We find in, in verse 2 where it says that we are to help each other. There's things in life that we will discover where we come to the end of our road. We come to the end of our rope. There's enemies in our lives that we cannot fight alone. And the Bible clearly says two are better than one. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Two are better than one. The Bible tells us where two of you gather together, there is nothing on earth that can stand in your way. 
There's no power, there's no authority, there's nothing that can stand in the way of the unity between two people that are willing to stand and to agree about anything on this earth. Because there's enemies. The Lord realizes that there's enemies that are much more difficult, much more powerful than we ourselves. And we need to be able to carry each other's burdens. But this is not an excuse for personal responsibility. Because three verses later, in verse 5, Paul changes gears, or Paul changes direction. And Paul tells us in verse 5, says, For each man shall bear his own burden. And it clearly tells us that even though we have a body, we have those that are around us, that help us in carrying those loads that are impossible for us alone. We're still responsible because we have to carry our own burden. There's things in our lives that we need to realize that God has placed enemies, that God has permitted in our lives because they're part of the process of us learning to battle for ourselves. If you look at, for example, in, in, in the book of Judges, chapter 6, uh, I'm not sure if it's 6 or 3, in verse, verse 1 it says, the, the Lord did not cast out of Canaan all the enemies, but He permitted enemies to stay in the promised land. And the reason was so that the future generations would learn to wedge war. Why in your life there was not a complete cleansiness or cleanliness, that when Christ came into your life, there's still struggles in your life. It's because through those struggles, God is teaching you to fight. Through those struggles, God is teaching you to persevere. Through those struggles, God is permitting you to be able to, to strengthen the inner man, to fight the good fight. And we already have the victory. The victory was... But let's put it this way. The victory was won on the cross. But yet it needs to be applied into your life. It is you that is responsible of applying that victory in your life so that the enemy doesn't have a foothold in your life. And there are several things that I, I, I want to get across tonight. There are several things that are part of the process of you achieving victory in your own life. The first is this. You need to be Earnestly preparing your life for the victory. Victory is not a casualty. Is that the right English word? It's not a circumstance. It's the result of something that you are earnestly looking for. It's something that you are, are striving to get to. It's not something that happens by pure coincidence. Nothing happens for coincidence, does it? Everything is the result of something that you've planned, something that you have desired, something that you are willing to sacrifice to be able to achieve. Life is like that, isn't it? You want to be able, you just newly wed, and you want to come to the place where you're able to purchase a house. What do you have to do? You first have to work hard. You have to work extra hours. You have to save, you have to plan, you have to budget. You have to sacrifice. 
If you want to achieve total victory in your life, total freedom in your life, you have to do that. There's something that you have to invest into your own life to be able to achieve everything that God is calling you to have. It's a process. And, and I, I, uh, I have a saying that uh, I, I say it in Spanish quite often, and I'm going to try to translate it to you in English. God is more interested in the process than the destination. Many Christians are more interested in the destination than the road. You know why? God is interested in the process because in the process is where he is working his perfect work in us. And what I've realized, I, I've, I'm 57 years old, 37 years in ministry. And, and what I've realized is every time I reach a goal, I realize I'm already in the middle of another process. Because, because God is not the God of goals. He is the God of processes. And whatever circumstance that you're in, you need to realize God is working His perfect work in us. And I need to change the way I analyze. I need to look, look at life differently. I need to realize that even though God is for me and no one can be against me, God still has to permit me to go through the process. Because God's not going to free you from the problem. He is going to free you within the problem. Do, do you get what I'm saying? We don't escape from the problem. We come out victorious from the problem. And there cannot be a victory without a problem. There cannot be a victory without a difficulty. And it, it is through that process that God is working, molding, per perfecting us. To be able to come to that place where we can reach victory in our lives. And it's not something that is all a total package. It's something where you achieve victory every area of your life. And what I've discovered is when you achieve victory in one area, all the other areas have been weakened. It's easier to achieve victory after that. Because you've already dealt with the root problem in your life. God is working that perfect will in your lives. The second thing is very important. Before you reach victory, God has to work in your character. You know, what happens when you as parents, those that are parents here, you make it easy for your kids to have things. We know the English saying that says, easy come, easy go. If God would give us freedom and victory, easily we would never be able to really value what he has given us that's the problem with many people about salvation is because since salvation is an, a work of grace salvation is a work freely given by God sometimes we don't value the sacrifice that God himself gave for us but to achieve victory in our lives sometimes we have to go through a process to be able to really value that victory that we've achieved in, in Christ. We're, we're having to put order in our lives. We're having to permit God to, to, to change certain aspects of our lives. We have to permit Him to mold our character. And I don't know what, what position you have about the situation that Paul was facing there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. But, but Paul says that once... 
several times he's come to the Lord and said, Lord, I need for you to be able to, to really help me and take this thorn in the flesh from me. And Paul confesses that several times he's asked the Lord to take this thorn in the flesh from him. And if we notice there in verse 7, it says something. It says that it's a messenger from Satan to buffet me that I shall not be exalted over much. Now, what was Paul's problem? Paul confesses his problem there. What was his struggle? Paul clearly diagnosed his own problem there by saying, you know what my problem is? I'm proudful. Pride governs me. And so the Lord had to permit a messenger from Satan. I don't know what your position is, but the word messenger from Satan clearly says it's an angelic manifestation from Satan. Because the word angel is messenger. And so Paul is recognizing that there's a demonic influence in his own life that God permitted to be able to work in him his character. Because if pride still governed Paul, would he been able to achieve everything that he had to achieve? Can you imagine? At the beginning of his ministry, the Lord told him, prepare yourself. You're going to stand before kings and governors. Wow. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> George, you need me. I've got, I'm the man for the hour. What would have happened if pride got in the way? And so the Lord was having to work his character in Paul's life to be able to achieve that place that he had to, to reach. Because if God had not changed his character, Paul would have been the problem. You understand? Paul would have been the problem. He would have never been able to accomplish what God has set himself to do in his own life. The second thing that is very important for us to realize that is part of the process in our lives is, is we need personal discipline. Personal discipline creates maturity. In our Christian life. Personal discipline. I'm, I'm not talking about being structured or overstructured. You know, I, 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 I personally do not have a problem with routine. I don't have a problem with structure. I myself am a very structured person because even on holidays, I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. That's my life. I'm used to that. But I married a non-structured woman. She's a very creative, relational, a little sanguine in her. And, and she is everything I dreamed about. She is my compliment. But I'm not talking about simply that, where you have to really plan your every minute of your day. But you've got to, in, 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 in self-discipline, you have to realize what is important in your lives. What are the things that are really primary in your life? And that's what you have to look for. What's, what are the important things that God has called you to do? Because as we work out our salvation, 
And we're working out that work that God has placed before us, that road, that pathway, that process in our lives. We need to come to the, to the point where we know what we need to do because there are things that are important and everything else is secondary. Once we get everything that is important in our lives and we've done it, then we can do the secondary things. You know, as parents, we, we try to teach our kids that. You first eat the vegetables, then you eat what you want. I don't know what your parenting skills were or, or, or how you'd manage your parenting skills, but you know what I did with my kids? I would only serve them vegetables first. Once they finished their vegetables, then they could eat whatever they wanted. It's as much as they wanted. But I realized that if I put all of the three parts of the meal or the four parts of the meal on the plate, they would start on what they liked first, and then they would get full with that, and then they would, not, would start insisting that they're too full for the vegetables. So what did I do? I eliminated everything first and started with just serving them vegetables. That's the way. Now, let, let, me, let me put it as, as a spiritual father to you right now. What do you have to start with? You must start with the must in your lives. And then when you finish the must, then you can do whatever you want with the rest of your day. That's yours. That's, that's God's gift to you. And in your life, there has to be certain disciplines. Because it would be an oxymoron if we try to talk about being a disciple without discipline. Because there cannot be a disciple if there's no discipline. Amen. To be a disciple is the, the foundational word of being a disciple is discipline. It's the process of of discipline in our lives is the process of being put through a process where we can achieve discipline in our own lives. Now, what, what, what are those things of, of discipline? Well, it starts with us realizing that external discipline doesn't work unless there is internal discipline. We as adults, the ones that are, all of us that are here, we need to realize that when you go to work in your day job, your boss cannot be on top of you. He cannot be telling you everything you do every minute of the day. To, for you to have success in your work, you have to have what? Self-discipline. You have to have self-control. And in Christianity, that's the basis of the real success. It's for us to be able to, to come to that place where we're placing ourselves under the discipline and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, under the discipline and the guidance of those authorities that God has placed over us, submitting ourselves to God's discipline. Because it's a lifestyle. You know, we, we, we as Christians could become very pharisaical very fast. Because we could, we could make a list of a thousand things that we should not do. And I try to tell uh, uh, our, our congregations this. I try to tell them, I said, it's not what you govern. The question is what governs you. 
Because the reality is what governs you is your real battle. What you can say, oh, oh, that's not a problem. I can win. I can have power over it. But you still have that problem. And that's where God is wanting to work his perfect work in your life. And that's the reason why when Paul was confronting Timothy with his weakness and God, Paul was, was dealing with Timothy with the issues in his own life, he ends up saying that God has given us the spirit of self-control. And unless we let that area of our lives begin to govern in our lives, we can pray, fast, do all these things that we've learned to do, but we want to achieve victory because victory starts with you determining that you're going to submit your will to the Holy Spirit. Submitting your, 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 your determination, submitting your likes to the Holy Spirit, putting your life under the, the dominion or the control of God's discipline in your own life. Because if there's no order in your life, there won't be no freedom. And there, here comes another oxymoron. Because if, if God gives you freedom, but there's lack of order in your life, that lack of order is what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, where we will begin just serving the flesh within our freedom. We will live a life that is fleshly in the freedom that God has given us. And that's the reason why those little foxes, those little things in our lives are such a struggle within us because we need to realize God is bringing that perfect will within His life, in our lives, excuse me. The fourth thing. We need to learn to walk in righteousness by obedience. There's things that in, 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 in our daily walk that I'm going to call this uh, the best I can. That we will not achieve victory if we're not willing to walk in obedience. And obedience many times has to be uh, not like most children. And I know that most parents struggle with this when they're having to deal with their children because they give their children an order and, and a child responds by saying, but why? But why? But why are you asking that? Why are you telling me that? And, and a parent gets so frustrated with that, they respond, because I said so. No other reason but because I said so. And when we realize God has every right to just basically give us the path without us understanding. One of the greatest things is this. Let me, let me, let me put it from this perspective. The greatest act of faith in your life can be obedience. There is an incredible power, supernatural power in obedience. Because for most of us, they walk by, by sight. The simple thing of God telling us, I want you to take this step. And we're, we're so earthly minded sometimes that we want to know the whole process of how, where, we want to understand every principle. And for us to take that one step of faith, it requires pure obedience. 
And when we obey, the simple obedience is the greatest demonstration of faith. Because not, we've not walked in our understanding. We've not walked in, 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 in a human strength. We've walked in what our flesh is telling us. This is incoherent. This is contrary to what the flesh is telling me that I can do. You know the story where, where, where Peter, out of his impulse, he was seeing the Lord at 3 o'clock in the morning walking on the water. And he says, Lord, is it you? If it's you, Lord, tell me to come to you. <laughs> and what did Peter do? The Lord says, come. And so what Peter, what he did was out of an impulse of obedience, he just took a step of faith. Obedience was a demonstration of faith. And many times the Lord tells us things. And the flesh is telling us the contrary. The flesh is telling us to, to run the other way. But when we submit, subject our will to His, and become obedient, we will achieve, we will run into that freedom that the Lord is trying to give us. Because at the end, we're, we have to be active participants in our freedom. We have to be involved. The responsibility doesn't fall on somebody else. There's things, like I mentioned, there's things in our lives that we need to come to, to somebody in humility and say, you know what, I've, I've, I've wrestled with this, I've fought with this, I've tried to do it on my own, but I cannot achieve victory in my life in this area. I need your help. That humility is what leads us to victory. But yet, when we get to that point, it's because we've already walked the road that we've needed to walk alone. We've already done everything that we can do, whatever we need to do to be able to come to that place where we come to, 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 to recognize, you know, I've done everything that I can do. I've done everything that the Scripture tells me to do. I've done everything that is in my power to do. But now I need help. We don't do that first. We do that last. Because we realize that. And in James chapter 4, Verse 7, we, we know this scripture by heart, most of us says, Be subject, therefore, unto the Lord, and resist the devil, and he will submit. He will flee from you. It's not telling us that we go to somebody else. It's telling us about something that we need to do in our daily walk. Something that is probably the most difficult thing in our life. It's a twofold thing where I have to submit myself to the Lord. And any one of us that, that, that really are, are being honest with ourselves today, we need to realize that is the toughest thing to do in our daily walk. Because it's not something we do once a day or, or, or once a week or once a month. Something that we have to do all day long. Because when it's cold outside and the covers are nice and warm and we want to stay in bed another two, three hours. <laughs> we have to submit ourselves to the Lord at that point. When we want to go and serve ourselves a second plate of food, we have to submit ourselves to the Lord. We have to let Him have control over every aspect of our lives and every step that we take. 
And when we do that and we resist the devil, he will flee from us. It's not we don't have to cast him out. He will what? Flee. Because if, if we want to understand that, and, 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 and this is extra out of, uh, I'm going to take a different road here for a moment. The devil's, Satan's, the demonic working in our lives is a legal process. You take the legality out of it. There's nothing else that they can do except to flee. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? The reason why we have the struggles in our lives, the reason why we're constantly battling in areas of our life is because we have permitted a legal foothold in our lives. And so when we come to that place, as James chapter 4, verse 7 says, we submit to the Lord and we resist the devil, he will flee from us. Because there is no legality there where he can grab a hold in our lives. Let's look at the next thing that God wants from us. And that's repentance. Unfortunately, I, I, I have to go back to this, this thought. Repentance is unfortunately a theme that is not taught or preached in many pulpits. But yet it is the most important thing in a victorious life. Because I, I hope you realize the importance here for a moment. The first thing is this. Without repentance, we will keep on struggling with the same problems for 20, 30, 40 years. We can achieve salvation without a real confrontation of a repentant heart. We can achieve it. But we will be struggling with the same problem for 40 years. The second thing is this. The depthness of our repentance will determine the height of our freedom. It's like a, like a building. If I want to build a six-story building, I have to first start with the what? The foundation. And repentance is the foundation of the victorious life. Because you're dealing with the root problem. You're dealing with the basic problems within our own lives. And we realize as we walk in Christianity, we realize that we can never come and compare ourselves with somebody else. The struggles that every one of us has is very different than the struggle of the person that is next to us. Every one of us has a struggle that is individual, personal. And so we have to fight that fight. And we start by, by realizing, you know what? I have to come to realize that what I am doing is not right. I can't justify it. I can't condone it. I can't make a treaty with it. I cannot accept it as part of my life. I have to eradicate it from my life because it's not right. Repentance, if we look at the scriptures, we will realize that it's the first step to victory. Because unless we deal with the past, 
we will never be able to enter into the future. And the repentance has to do with the things in our past that are, let, 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 me, let me think of the right word, undealt with, inconclusive, things that are pending in our lives that, are, that we've ignored, that unless we deal with those issues of our past, they will haunt us. They're giving the enemy permission in our lives to be able to condemn us, to accuse us. And as we're trying to achieve victory in our life, the enemy will constantly come to us and will remind us of all those things that are still pending and will give us doubt about what God is still trying to do in us. Unfortunately, we don't realize the severity of our actions. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22. It says, His own weakness shall take his weak, his own iniquity shall take the wicked, and he shall hold him with the cords of his own sin. What does sin do, does to us? It binds us up. It holds us, not permitting us to go forward, not permitting us to achieve that, that purpose that the Lord has placed before us. <coughs> Unfortunately, we, many of us just basically wink at it, ignore it. We think that by negating the reality of our past, we will be able to just sweep it under the rug of salvation. But we can't do that. The only way to deal with that past is through repentance. The problem is this. The problem is this. Most of us do not have nor the will nor the capacity to be able to repent. It's not natural in us. And that's the reason why in 2 Timothy, and you have that in your notes, that's why we're we're just rushing through it because you have it in your notes. Second Timothy tells us that the Lord may give us the capacity to repent. It is the Lord that gives us the ability to repent. Because when the Lord comes and reveals, in, in, a, in a short way, let me put it this way. The Lord comes and lets us see what He sees in our action. Makes us feel what He feels when He sees us. And what we've done. And we, when we see ourselves through his eyes. We are able to realize. How gravely terrible. What our actions have been. And it's only then that we can repent. Because I've seen people that have come to the altar. And they pray and cry and moan. And Lord change me but. There's no repentance. It's all a human action. It's until we come to be able to realize that what we've done to the Lord, what we have done to Him, is what really leads us into repentance. Because it's a gift. Excuse me, let me put it this way. It's a gift that God gives you. What do we have to be looking for? We have to be looking for God to tell us, to, to show us, to manifest those areas of our own life to even reveal those things that we have hid from Him, that we've ignored. Because it's looking ourselves 
in the mirror of God's life and realizing, you know what? I thought that was good. I thought that that was righteous. I thought that that was correct to do. Even the Pharisees thought that what they were doing was right. They needed to come to that place where they saw themselves in God and realizing I needed to repent in that area. Because God is the one that knows our heart. He weighs the intentions of our hearts. And many times our intentions, we think they're right. But they're wrong. Because even in your heart sometimes, you're, you're doing things out of a, a, a clear understanding that you're trying to please God, but in reality, you're not doing that unless you see yourself in the reflection of who He is. And that will lead you to repentance. Repentance without confession is not totally there. Confession is a vital part of repentance. That's the reason why the Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And what? There comes the word cleanse, cleanse us that has to do with deliverance. He is faithful and just to what? Cleanse us. It's the cleansing part that is the important part in our lives. Because when we confess our sins, what we're doing is we are also, let, let, let's put it this way, we're also humbling ourselves. Because I've, I've come to the realization in my own life that sometimes when I'm trying to hide things, I'll go to the Lord by myself and say, Lord, here I am. I know you look at me. You see me, Lord. But sometimes I need to confess it before somebody else because that's the humility, humiliating part. Because even though we, we look at ourselves in the mirror and we, we see all the great things the Lord has done for us, we don't see that our feet are made out of clay. How many of you have feet of clay? I have feet of clay. We all do. And the only way sometimes to be able to get to that point is where we are able to humble ourselves. And it's been a discipline that I think we've lost in Christianity. We have created this, this direct channel to God so easily that we've forgotten principles. And I, I know I'm, I'm getting out of, out, of, uh, out of the direction that we're doing, but I need for you to realize it. The reason why the body is so important is because through the body, we're really doing it to God. We serve God through serving the body. We love God through loving the body. We obey God when we obey our human authorities. We give to God when we give it to those of flesh and blood. Now let me ask you. How do we confess? Only to the Lord? Or also to one that will hold us accountable? Because accountability is very important in the process of freedom. But it cannot be unless there is that relationship of confession. Amen? Now let's look at a couple other things. 
What does true repentance lead us to? There's three things. The first thing it does, it leads us to recognize that we are responsible for our problems. There cannot be real repentance unless I recognize that I, myself, me, myself, and I am responsible. It, it, it's, it's, it would be a contradiction if I, if I have a problem with my brother and I, I come to ask him forgiveness, but in the process of asking forgiveness, I'm accusing him of being responsible for what, I, what I've done. That's usually how it starts, doesn't it? Forgive me, but uh, you were the one that instigated me. That's not true forgiveness. And so in the same matter, when I come to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me, I recognize what I've done. True repentance starts with recognizing our own personal responsibility within our sin. Second, it seeks for help. Seeks for help. Because we're recognizing that what I've done by myself, what I've done in my own strength has not been enough. I need help. I need somebody to, to, to be a part with me, to be able to walk with me, to be able to come to that place of freedom. Third, we need to learn that in repentance, we need to submit ourselves to whatever the Lord is asking for us to be able to be freed. Again, I state, we cannot make this into a generalized rule. Because this is what the Lord has to speak to every one of us. Because the issues that you'll face and the issues that I face are completely different. And so the process is very different. It, it is tailored made for each and every one of us what the Lord is asking for us. Do you get what I'm saying? And we need to realize that God is taking us into victory, but He cannot lead us in victory until we're able to find that place that God is setting us forth. And lastly, there's only freedom when there is forgiveness. From, through repentance, we will find forgiveness. And it is forgiveness that leads us into real power to achieve freedom in our lives. Forgiveness comes when we're able to not just receive freedom in our lives through forgiveness, but we are also achieving freedom from issues that are holding us down. L let me put it this way, and I'm, I'm going to probably repeat it once or twice this weekend, but pr I've, I've discovered that the greatest problem that the Christian evangelical church is facing more than anything else, let me tell you what it is. Bitterness. It's a plague. And bitterness, let me tell you what the root problem is. It's not the struggles and the betrayals and the denial, uh, the, the, the lying and the cheating and the, the manipulations that others have done. You know what the problem with bitterness is? I think... And I've come to the conclusion that I'm a victim of my circumstance. When I think I'm a victim, then I let, I give place to bitterness. Because I'm a victim. A victim of God. I'm a victim of my fellow Christians. I'm a victim of my parents. I'm a victim of my neighbors. I'm a victim of the government. 
And that gives place to what? Bitterness. But you know what does what forgiveness does? It breaks the bonds in our life. Because forgiveness is not a one-way street. Forgiveness is a two-way street. I have to forgive others, but I also have to ask for forgiveness. You can't do one without doing the other. As I, as I deal with, with issues of conflict and of problems in churches and in marriages and in life, let me ask you, in conflict that you have at home, is there one party that is totally innocent and one party that is totally guilty? Or there is a responsibility from both sides? I would say 99.99999% of the times, both, have par both parties have problems. That's usually what I've said. <laughs> but the thing is this, unless we're able to forgive and ask forgiveness, we will not be able to break the bonds in our lives. It is through forgiveness that we're able to walk in that path of freedom. Have you ever seen this interesting thing in, in the Lord's Prayer where it says that for us to be able to have freedom in the forgiveness that God wants to give us, we first have to forgive others. Forgive those that have trespassed us. The question is, is God's forgiveness conditional? That's a question that we need to ask. Because according to the Lord's Prayer, if I don't forgive others, the Lord can't forgive me. Think about it. It's conditional. Why are many of us still struggling with those bonds in our lives? And it's because we have not learned to forgive. And it's the key to victory. It's incredible. Imagine. You're, you're, you're dealing with a car that the motor is broken and needs to be repaired and you have the tool to fix it in your hand and you're not using it. But you're scratching your head and asking yourself, why is the motor broken? That's exactly how we are in Christianity. We have the key to victory and that's called forgiveness. The key that breaks the bonds that many of us are struggling in. And it's because when we don't forgive, we're binding ourselves to a situation in our past. We, we, are, we are, are stagnating ourselves in something that happened years ago. And we need to learn to forgive and ask for forgiveness because when we do that, it is bringing that process to, 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 to a place where we're able to break through in our own life. I, I'm going to state this. Probably forgiveness is the most important process to achieve victory in your life. Because many of the issues that we struggle to in our own life 
have to do with the fact that we, we, we're stuck in something that happened to us in the past. That opened doors in our life. And God wants to bring total freedom. But there cannot be freedom unless we're willing to forgive. And the interesting part, we go back to the circle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, verse uh, if I'm not mistaken, verse 9. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 9. 7 or 9. Uh, Paul tells the church in Corinth. Uh, they, they were struggling with an issue where, where somebody had sinned. If you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Somebody had sinned and Paul has to intervene because they had accepted that sin. And basically, Paul had to judge. And the boy that was in sin, Paul dealt with it. And it seems with time, he repented. Well, he came back to church. But now, it seems like if he had AIDS, nobody wanted nothing to do with him. He would come on one side and nobody would sit on that side. Everybody would sit on the other side. Nobody would greet him. Nobody would have inter interaction with him. And Paul says, you know what you're doing is basically you're destroying him. And then in verse 9, if I'm not mistaken, Paul says, and I want you to forgive them, and I want this as a sign of your obedience. I want you to show me your obedience in everything because you're forgiving them. I, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Because obedience is another thing that has to be done in obedience. Excuse me. Forgiveness is another thing that has to be done in obedience. The only way to be able to forgive sometimes because, you know what, I, I, I'm a human being and I look at myself in my own personal mirror and I realize, you know what, when somebody's done something to me, I would like to beat the daylights out of them. I would like to kick them, you know where. All of us are like that, aren't we? Because we, we're hurt. And when we're wounded, when we're hurt, it's not easy to forgive. And that has to be an act of pure obedience to God where God says, you know what? This is the right thing to do. You forget. You forgive and, and let it go. And when you learn to forgive, the Lord breaks the bonds in your own life. Those things that were binding you, those things that were holding you back, the Lord begins to do a mighty work in your life and you're able to achieve victory rapidly in your own life. I've seen many cases where people with an unforgiving heart, with bitterness in their heart, they were resisting forgiveness and they could not achieve victory. But once they came and they were able to forgive, the Lord began a work of freedom in their own lives, breaking every bond in their own life and leading them into total freedom. There's another interesting thing about forgiveness. In John chapter 20, verse 23, it says something that, 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 that many theologians have had a hard time defining. I'm going to read it. It says, whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgot, forgiven unto them. And whoso, whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. You know, in your life, in the things that happen in your life, you have the power to forgive or the power to retain. And when I have bitterness in my heart, I'm retaining forgiveness. 
And when I retain forgiveness, I sometimes even hinder God's work in that person's life. This happens many times in, in couples. You're out there at the altar praying and saying, Lord, change my husband. Lord, change my wife. But you've got bitterness in your heart. How can the Lord deal with your husband and your wife if there's bitterness in your heart? But when you forget, what the Lord is doing is he is delivering you, breaking that, that yoke in your own life and is beginning to work not just in your life, but in your mate's life. Because forgiveness brings freedom in every step of the way. Bitterness is the, is the way that we're giving a place to the enemy. Bitterness is, is giving a foothold in a, in, in, in to the enemy. Bitterness is like the legal ground where the enemy can come into your life and can break, bring havoc into your own life. Let me go to the next one. There's things in your life that will only be conquered. And clearly Jesus said this there in Matthew chapter 17, verse 21. This type, this kind of enemy only goes through prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Again, I, I go back to this. There's things in your life that you're struggling with and you've tried everything else. And it comes to that place where you have to say, Lord, what is the last thing or what is the next thing that I need to do? Remember the story of Jesus was up in the Mount of Transfiguration with three of his disciples. The other nine were down in the valley. And a man, a father, came up to his disciples and said, uh, my son is tormented by a demon. Could you deliver him? Could you free him? And they, like the wolf, puffed and puffed and puffed and puffed and nothing came out. They were frustrated. They were really frustrated. And Jesus comes into the scene and he says, oh man of little faith. And he freed the child. Do you remember the story? And afterwards, the disciples, embarrassed, come up to Jesus and said, uh, Lord, why couldn't we cast, cast him out? And Jesus said, this kind only comes out through prayer and what? Fasting. Now, let, let me tell you what, what the, the issue here is. Many people feel that prayer and fasting is when we pray for somebody else. Prayer and fasting is for our capacity to be able to do what God has called us to do. It is for us what Jesus was talking about. Because sometimes we try to battle against an enemy and we're not prepared for that. And the issue is not in our capacity or in the authority that God has given us, but the issue is that there's things in our life that still are out of order. Fasting, for example. Let me ask you, does fasting move God's hand? No. Fasting is not to move God's hand. I'm going to fast for the Lord to give me a brand new car. I'm going to fast for the Lord to give me a house. You know what fasting is? To put your old self, your old nature, under the rulership of the Spirit. It's because it's 
controlling those things that controlled you. Taking control of those things that had governed you. That's what it's for. Prayer is to be able to prepare your life for the battle. And so when Jesus was talking to the disciples about that, he wasn't talking about the problem the child had. He was talking about the things in their own life that needed to be dealt with. And to be able to, to deal with it, they needed to be involved in what? Prayer and fasting. In their own life. To be able to have the victory over every wile of the enemy. And let me finish with this today. The last one. We need to obey. I mentioned that in passing just in a few minutes ago. Because obedience is the ultimate perfect working of faith in our lives. There's moments in our lives when we have to come to the point of desperation. I don't know if you're at that point in your own life where you're desperate to, to, to get victory in a certain area in your life. Or you've made a treaty with it where you've basically learned to live with it. Adapt. Mold to it. Compensate with the issue. I don't know how you're what you're facing, but you're not going to achieve victory until you come to the place where you're fed up. And when you've come to that place of being fed up, then you're willing to do whatever it needs to be done to be able to come to that place of freedom. Do, do you get what I'm saying? Unless you're fed up, you're not going to be willing to do everything that you need to do. And sometimes the Lord permits to, for us to hit rock bottom. To be able to come to that place where we say, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever needs to be done to find victory in my life. And that's where the Lord gives us the pathway. The Lord gives us the, the strategy for us to be able to accomplish it. Some of the things are just basic, simple things. Do you remember the story in the Old Testament when Elijah had a visitor, a general from Assyria? His name was Naaman. He had basically had gotten, uh, 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 the doctor told him that there was no other thing that he could do for his leprosy. Basically, it was terminal. And he got desperate. And he goes up to the Elijah's house thinking that Elijah was going to give him all that welcome reception that every general received because of his honor. And Elijah basically didn't even give him the time of day. Just sent him a servant and said, go. Get yourself seven times into the river. river. Submerge yourself seven times into the river. And he got so what? Insulted. He got insulted because he didn't have all that pomp and circumstance around him. And thank God for one of his advisors that told him, Sir, you've told me that you're willing to do whatever you need to do to be able to achieve victory, to get your healing. And here, he's only telling you to go and get yourself seven times, submerge yourself seven times into a river, even if it's the dirtiest, ugliest river. It's the easiest thing. All it requires is what? Obedience. But it, he had to get to the point of what? 
desperation. You've got to come to that place in your own life where you say, I cannot go another day with dealing with this problem in my own life. And you have to take responsibility for that. You have to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I am willing to do whatever it's necessary to be able to get victory in my life. I'm, not, I'm tired of molding to it, adapting to it, compensating it. My family is tired of hiding it, covering me up, covering it up. Now it's time to what? Face it. Head on. And I'm willing to do whatever you're asking me. Now, there's, there's a, a, a spiritual warfare scripture that you know. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Look, look at that one point there in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. says, casting down imaginations and everything that is exalted against the knowledge of God and bringing everything under captivity to what? To the obedience of Christ. What's the key to freedom? It's obedience. Obedience. We want to have freedom. We have to learn to obey. And I'm going to tell you, and I'm coming from a foreigner. I'm an immigrant. I don't look it, but I am. Coming. This is one of the greatest problems Americans have. There's such independency in this culture that it's sometimes very difficult for us to learn obedience. There's so much freedom constitutionally that we feel that we have every right to do whatever we want. But if you want freedom, real freedom, we need to realize that liberty in Christ is completely different than liberty in the world. I've had four teenagers at home, and I'll tell you what, what the issue is. Teenagers claim, demand freedom, don't they? And what's the end result of that demanding of freedom? Usually what happens is they become enslaved by what they're seeking for. Isn't that the truth? In the process of demanding freedom from this, their parents, they end up being enslaved by the drugs, by alcohol, by sex, pornography. That enslaves them. In the process of demanding freedom, they become enslaved. In Christianity, it's completely opposite. Paul calls himself a servant, a slave of Christ. You know why? Because in the road to achieve freedom, I have to become a slave. And when I become a slave to God, it's when I find freedom because it's not, it's not an act of serving Him in the concept of being a slave. It is Him empowering me to be able to govern those things that in the past used to govern me. Because Having a title of being free doesn't mean anything unless I govern those things that in the past used to govern me. Am I, am I getting myself across? That's why Paul clearly tells us. That's why the scriptures 
Talk to us about obedience. Because the only way to achieve freedom in Christ is when I'm willing to become a slave. It might seem a contradiction, but we've seen the world way, haven't we? When I demand freedom in the world, I become a slave to those things that I've asked for freedom for. Oh, I'm already 19 years old. I can do whatever I want. I can come back at whatever time I want. But I'm seeking for freedom and ending up in what? Bondage. Isn't it better to seek for bondage and find freedom? That's what Christianity is all about. That's the real definition of what we're believing in. Because really the end goal in Christ is finding freedom. But Paul realized that when he said that he was a bondservant. That he was a slave. That he was a servant. Because he realized that the only way to find freedom is through obedience to God. Every one of us have that, has that responsibility, don't we? Every one of us, before the Lord, we will not be able to stand with our pastor holding our hand before the Lord and say, Lord, it was his fault. He was not the best pastor for me. He should have taught me better. He should have prayed a little bit harder for me. You know, as a pastor, I'm going to have to give account for the, everything that the Lord's placed in my hands. But I cannot do what you're called to do. You're responsible for that area of your life. And the Lord is going to ask you. Because He's giving you every tool. Incredible. In the cross, our enemy was conquered. Now I just have to make it a reality in my life. In my life, the Lord's given me His Spirit, the agent of the, Holy, of the Holy Spirit that is the agent of God, the agent of Christ, that is doing everything that Christ and God wants them to do in your life. He is the one that is working, His perfect work in your life. Isn't it true? But what do I have to do? I have to become sensitive to what He wants me to do, to His guidance. Because his guidance is what? Truth and freedom. Because wherever the Holy Spirit is, I'm trying to transliterate from Spanish. Wherever the Holy Spirit is, there is what? Freedom. There's freedom. And you want freedom? You can't do it without the Holy Spirit. He is the key to that in your life. Okay, why don't we bow our heads for just a few moments. Let me ask you for something for the next two, three days. Whenever we, we will pray, I'm going to ask you to put your Bible, everything on the floor underneath you. And let you relax in the Lord. Not to worry about what you've got in your hand. But let you just relax in the Lord. And let the Lord do the work that He wants to do in your life. I really don't know what is it that you're struggling in. And I do not know what has been the battle that you've been facing in the last few days. Only you can tell that. But let me, let me tell you something. 
This weekend, the Lord wants to do something mightily in your life. But it becomes and it begins today with you. Are you willing? Are you desperate? Are you determined in your life to come to that place of freedom? Because freedom is in many ways, in many forms. But there has to come to a point where you have to let, let God take control. Where you submit yourself to the Lord and you resist the enemy. And he will flee from you. And let the Lord today begin that process. But, but I want to ask you for something today. I want you to, to come in tone and, and, and tune yourself into the Lord. And what is the Lord speaking to you today? Not Dario. Not Mark. No one else. What is the Lord speaking to you today? Because this, that is molded to your need today. And if the Lord is, 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 is really stirring within your heart something that you need to ask forgiveness for, something that you need to repent about, why don't we start this weekend with that today? Taking a hold, taking responsibility for those things that are still pending in your past saying, Lord, I don't know how to. But I want you to give me the strength to be able to find freedom. There where you're at, you could say, Lord, forgive me from trespassing. Forgive me from not doing those things that you've asked me to do. Not obeying, doing my own will. I've tried to live my life at my own pace. I've tried to do the things that please me. But today the Lord is stirring within your heart. The right diagnosis, the right remedy for those things that are being heavy in you that are not letting you run this race I hope that you're already doing that within your life right now St. Lord come to that point that I need really your help. I'm tired of those feelings. I'm tired of those attitudes. I'm tired of those actions that I know they're not right. And I've tried to, to take control and I've tried to change them on my own strength. But I've come to the realization that I cannot do it on my own. I need you. Lord, I submit myself to you today and ask you to come and free me from 
that bondage. To those things that I've, I've tried to control, but they control me. Father, today we stand before you. Lord, I ask you that your spirit will, will move in our midst. It is your spirit that speaks truth to us. It is your spirit that, that stirs us. It is your spirit, Lord, that guides us. It's your spirit that reveals your will. And Lord, we want to be in tune to your spirit. We want to be able to be connected to that working in our lives. And now, Lord, we submit our weakness. We submit our difficulties to you. Now, for just a few moments, why don't you just relax with your eyes closed and let the Lord do what he wants to do tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come boldly. Lord, we ask you that you will begin that work in our lives, setting us free, breaking the bonds of iniquity, of sin, breaking the yoke that has held us back for so long. And today with the authority that you have given us that is in this place, this place that has been sanctified, redeemed, separated for you. We realize today that this is a place of freedom. And Lord, we declare that your kingdom come into our lives. We declare, Lord, that your freedom is in our lives. And today, Lord, with the authority that is within us, Lord, we break every bond. And we declare, Lord, today that you begin the mighty work of freedom in our lives. Lord, we submit to you today. Now, Lord, we declare that that working has begin, begun at this moment. Yes, Father, in this very moment, you're breaking every bond, every yoke, every legal right that the enemy has over our lives. Today, we break it in the name of Jesus. Today we declare, Lord, that this life belongs to you. It has been redeemed, saved by the blood of Christ. It has been set aside for you. And now, enemy, you do not have a place in this life. Now we order for you to cease and desist everything that you are trying to do. Today we order you that you have no more power, no more right in this life. In the name of Jesus. We know, Lord, that you're bringing freedom today. You're bringing freedom this weekend. And as, Lord, you manifest the different things, Lord, we ask you that you will bring total freedom in the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Thank you. Just want to 
encourage you to come tomorrow morning. What we're going to be dealing with tomorrow morning is what is already in your notes. What we call spiritual and natural sicknesses. What is really holding Christian men and women back? Could you believe that it's sickness? Now, sickness is not just a natural thing. It's a spiritual thing. So we're going to be dealing with the whole subject tomorrow. Hopefully you'll be able to come and realize how complex we are as Christians, as human beings. Amen? I would encourage you to do that. God bless you and we'll see you tomorrow. So I told you at the very beginning that this spiritual warfare we were going to find out wasn't exactly what we might have thought that spiritual warfare might look like. Sometimes what we want is the, honestly, give me the easy way. Wait a minute, shouldn't I just come to the altar and shouldn't you pray over me and that's spiritual warfare and now I have the victory when that's not what God's word declares for you and for me. He says, like the scripture he read, submit to God. Simply means do what God says. Don't be unequally yoked. And if you go out and be unequally yoked, you know what? You're going to find you're not going to be victorious in spiritual warfare. Do what God says. Resist the enemy. So that means don't do what the enemy says. And he will flee. That's spiritual warfare. It's spiritual warfare. I hope and pray that you'll come tomorrow. Let's walk in this place of understanding, as he said, the complexities of our nature and who we are and healing that can flow. Amen? Come on, let's sing this as we go. Church, listen, I love you. I'm so blessed to be a part of this with you. Uh, let's, uh, let's, again, let's just praise his name, lift him up. Let's go out giving him praise and glory, honoring his name. Come on, church, let's sing it out. Sing it with all you have tonight. And you have a great, wonderful night. We're going to see you tomorrow, 10 o'clock. Trust what you say. Maybe we.